Hi, it's Joel, and today is July 13th, 2016. Welcome to Rev Thinking. Today's topic is investing in a project. Welcome to Rev Thinking. RevThink leverages years of experience and practical wisdom to help owners of top creative studios. So you don't have to choose between following your passion and running your business. Now here's your host, Joel Pilger. Hello from Los Angeles. Tim Thompson and I are here, staying in fabulous Beverly Hills on a trip, helping some of our clients who run uh, motion design studios and production companies here, as well as meeting up with some friends we made while at Catalyst in New York last month. But uh, Tim and I got on a hot issue tonight and decided to record a podcast. And the topic is investing in a project. How many times have you have you said that? You know, you have a project that you want to turn out really great. And you say, you know, I'm going to take some of the extra money and I'm going to invest in this project. Well, is it really an investment or is it just an expense? Well, we hit that one head on. And in the process, we tackle a a few other questions and thoughts. One of them being, what are some common project budgets and ratios? And how can we make profit, not just a residue of doing projects, but actually an intention? We also uh, get to a few examples of what some real investments look like. And we ask the question, uh, do you think your firm is an asset, but could it really be a liability? And towards the end, we get to a little more intimate question, which is, could it be that our passion as creatives is something that we're being taken advantage of? Because we certainly don't want to wake up one day and just wonder where all the money went. So I hope you enjoy this hot button topic that Tim and I get into. Hey, Tim. Hey, Joel. (laughs) (laughs) We're chuckling because we're sitting outside a fabulous Airbnb it's a villa. We we somehow landed a villa totally, in the middle of Beverly Hills. We scored. And I don't know how we scored, but we're at this amazing villa. It feels like it's a five-bedroom little mansion that's just a few blocks off of... Uh, we're somewhere south of the Beverly Center. But this is what's great. You live in Colorado, and I live in Oregon. And... We, we love Los Angeles. I must have said that 20 times today. For and sure. we go to New York and LA very often. But one of those things I kept hitting all day as I said I love LA is this view right here where we don't have palm trees in the Rocky Mountains or in the Siskiyou Mountains of Oregon. And just nothing beats sitting at this courtyard. You feel like in the lap of luxury while looking at palm trees in, in Southern California. I love LA. There's yeah. no doubt. I always love the energy, right, of getting to come to New York or Los Angeles and hang out with some of the smartest people, super creative minds, these awesome studios and owners. And, you know, they're, it's, they're just run by such incredible people. And I feel super lucky. Yeah, me too. To spend time with them and to help them. So we were having dinner uh, here just a couple hours ago in Beverly Hills, and I was, I I noticed something in our conversation that reminded me of the days when I was an owner running my own studio, and the source of it was a conversation that we've had many times with many different owners. So let's say who we're talking to, right? We're talking to owners of motion design studio or production company, animation firm, that sort of, th- those kinds of, of shops. And there's service 
companies. They yes. they are hired, you know, work for hire service companies. Yes, exactly. And something that we hear quite often when owners are talking about the challenges that they face is they will say, well, I made a decision to invest in that project. Right, right. Yeah. You know, or I made an investment in that project. And that, of course, came up at dinner because I said, Tim, do you remember back in the day after we met and started working together? And I think I used the same line on you. I think oh, you did. <laughs> well, there's this project, and I really wanted to turn out great, and this client is really awesome, and I know if I do a good job, it'll be amazing on the real, blah, blah, blah. So I made a choice to invest in this project. And you just came across the table at me and said, <laughs> dude, for real? Come on. Yeah. Invest? Like, that's not... That's not an investment. That's not an investment. Okay. What did you What did you mean by that? Because I bet a lot of people listening are, are thinking, "Yeah, I, I've said that before. What's wrong with that?" Yeah, we all say it, and I think, um, well, okay. So I, I think in that exact situation, the thing that you were up against was you were building your business. You're looking for some opportunities that you were being being given, and in all sincerity, you're saying, "I want to do the best I can do." That's right. So forget Joel. I'll take myself out of the equation in this moment, and I'm going to give all I can back to this project. Therefore, I'll take my money. This is theoretical. Yeah. I'm going to take the Joel money and put it back in the project and do something more amazing with that extra money right. than I would have done without that money. Right. So instead of paying myself maybe what I would normally otherwise be entitled to making a profit or making some wise choice to invest, truly invest that money, I'm spending it on the project. Correct. Why is that not an investment? Because <laughs> right. it's an expense. You just said it. <laughs> it's an expense. I mean, I would challenge you. I wish we would have kept score by then because it would have been... I would challenge you that you actually didn't take less money out of your company that month because you spent it on that project. You, were, you basically were in a scenario where you were earning yourself a paycheck. You just happened to have owned the business, and you're doing a job at that business. And so your job that you were doing was paying you a salary. Um, so the the misnomer in this uh, this conversation is the word invest, as if I took extra money, invested it in something, and got a return on my investment. Right. But wait. So let me stop you because I'm thinking. Well, wait. If I invest in a project, and I just did air quotes. Yeah, you did air quotes. Word, invest. Quote unquote. Right. Right. Quote unquote. <laughs> So I'm going to invest in this project because if I do a really great job, it, it's going to make my reel stronger. I'm going to be able to promote that project. I'm going to be able to show it to this potential new client I have, right? Like I'm going to be able to keep the, the hamster wheel going, yeah. and that feels good. Yeah, so right. So in a way, I'm, I'm, again, I'm arguing, well, why, why that's the return on my investment is a new client a stronger reel, um, those kinds of things. But that's not really a return? Yeah, so they, exactly, that's not a return. <clears throat> so let's just put some, <laughs> let's put some numbers now to you're this. Making, yeah, now you're <laughs> making me mad. I'm like, how is that not a return? <laughs> so let's put some numbers to this, just so we kind of okay. get some sense of what, what we're talking about or, or the theory or idea of how this investment would work, right? So you have a project, 
We'll just use 100000 because it's easy to do numbers that way. Yep. You have a project, it's $100,000. Your overhead and all those things it takes to run the company cost about half that project, theoretically. So $50,000 is already spent on running your business. And what's in that overhead? It's just... Let me give you the quick list of like, is that rent and yeah, rent and exactly. Okay. I mean, I think most people know what their overhead is. There might be a few items that at Rev think we talk to our clients on things that should or shouldn't be based on who's making decisions on how that money is being spent. Yeah, sure. But for the most part, let's just say half the money. Okay. Again, it's easy math and it's a good way of doing it. There's a really we have a technology or some spreadsheets and questions that get down to a, specific, a per certain percentage to get that done. But in this case, it's 50%. So you spend 50% on the overhead of running your business, which leaves you 50% more to uh, spend money expenses for the project. Right. And whatever's left over, my favorite of that, whatever's left over is profit. As if it's um, the residue of the hard work opposed to the intention of the hard work. <laughs> Um, so that's how you do it. And so we're going to say 40% of the project is spent on cost of goods sold, 50% is spent on overhead, 10% left over in profit. That's the numbers we're working with theoretically here, okay. right? Yep. And so your pitch to me basically is saying, well, that last 10% is real money. What if I spent all of the money on the project? Right. So, so that extra, I'm that 10%. Extra 10 yeah, that extra $10,000. I'm going to rent that super special camera, and I'm going to get that certain location. I'm going to whatever, right? Plus, the project and make the creative super awesome, and burn that last ten thousand instead of keeping it as profit. Spend it as a quote investment. I just did my air investment. quotes again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So the first question I would ask you, which is, why isn't the first ninety thousand dollars an investment? If you control all the money, because the client doesn't have control over those dollars, and you control all of it, why aren't you, with all your intention, purposefully spending each dollar so that there's an ROI on every dollar spent? Why is it only 10% that would be left over going back to the project as the investment instead of every dollar looking to invest and give me a return to make my real better? And, yeah. And some of that is that we live in a culture or we work in a culture that has these certain dollar amounts, percentage amounts assigned that seem like normal operating procedure, and we forget that we're spending those dollars. We just think it's automatically assigned, automatically assigned, and we're actually not making that choice. So I'm, I'm going to still come back and say, wait a minute. I have taken my profit. Your 10%. My 10% that I am well and entitled to, and I'm reinvesting it in the project. Why can't I call that an investment? Because if I get another project, if I get a new client, if I do something super amazing and it wins an award, why is that not an investment? Because I sort of think, well, if I'm getting those things, that's, the, quote, the return. Well, it's not an investment. <laughs> it's an <laughs> right. expense. You're basically saying I'm spending all my money in order to give my client a better uh, product. So it's really, it's really like the choice of word that it, we tell ourselves it's an investment. It's really spending. You're, you're spending that money. So okay. I'll give you a couple of examples that I, that I believe are good ones probably for this conversation. And one is a client of mine who actually invested in a project. And he made a conscious decision that he was given an $80,000 budget, but he wanted to achieve a certain creative effect that cost about $150,000 instead. So we had a very long conversation 
uh, as you can imagine. I was really beating him down to what it would take to do it. The end result was this. He spent the $150,000 and basically over-delivered the project at that. There's a lot of risk in that. And I would say that good investments, strong investments, have no risk. But he took some risk. The reason he could take that risk is we also leveraged that risk to say, but when it's all said and done, we also own the asset of the result. So he, he was shooting footage. And in shooting footage, he knew if he had this one thing in the can, he could deliver this project well. But the other stuff in the can, he could resell over and over and over again. Got it. But he knew who he was going to sell it to before he did the shoot. He didn't say, it'd be really great to have a bunch of mountain footage. Maybe someday I'll sell it. He said, I know somebody that needs mountain footage. Right. If I spend the money now, I can basically... For $150,000, sell $400,000 worth of goods. I already know the buyers. I'm just buying low and selling high. And on this, with this one client, if I do it right, yeah. I'll overproduce and I'll get a return there. So he had two possible returns. Well, I love Totally paid out for him. That's such a cool story, right? Because that's a really good example to illustrate when we talk about firms that they have leverage. They just don't use it. It's there. If you're looking for it, if you're you know on the lookout for opportunities where you might say, no, I am going to invest because I already have this amazing team. I have this crew that I've hired for this day. I've got the camera. Like everything is in place. I can use that to you know do this work for hire thing over here. But I'm also while I'm here going to make an investment. Yeah. So and not everybody can do that. At Promex this year, I, t- I met to a creative director. And we didn't talk much about his business, but we talked about it was his wife makes paper flowers. And they're gorgeous. Absolutely beautiful. They're lifelike, amazing talent. And we were talking about, wouldn't it be cool to turn this into a a bigger business? And I said, you're a creative director, and your company gets hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to shoot commercial footage. Why can't you take that paper flower, stick it in every commercial you make, and as a two-minute side or a five-minute side, take that crew and shoot a couple of, couple of uh, feet of footage. I guess not feet anymore, sorry. <laughs> Show my age. A couple of seconds of footage or a couple of minutes of footage and then compile footage over a year with the right creative direction and make a commercial using money you're already spending. That's great. Now he started, he launched a business. He has a creative direction for his business. He's leveraging money he's already spending, the first 90%. And gaining a secondary product. You can do that. Again, maybe another misconception, or I like to use the word lie, is that because the client gave us money, we're only supposed to shoot their stuff. Right. But the client gave you money, and your production company is writing those checks. If you go overtime and the client didn't approve it, you're the one paying for the extra footage. Yeah, been there. So if you're going under time, why don't you get to keep the benefit of it? Right. And it's not something we often want to say is real, but it's something you can do. So there's a few choices you can make in different areas. Just because you have cameras shooting, there are th- uh, there's multiple things you can shoot. Yep. So that's one example. By the way, that investment my client made actually paid out for him because over the next two years, he continued to do profitable projects with that company and use the proceeds of each profitable project to make other investments. Hmm. So we knew going into it what the risk was. We knew going into it that it was a low risk because we are going to get paid already from a buyer for the footage we were making. 
And he got an additional reward and got a return on that investment. And then we were able to, because we made a plan, use that investment dollars um, towards other areas as well. Nice. So I think back to, again, back in the day when you were consulting for me when I was running Impossible Pictures and you called me out and said, no, 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 you're spending you're that spending. money. Yep. And I, I'm trying to remember what it I, I seem to remember you telling me, Joel, if you have a $100,000 project and you're spending that profit you're really, you know, you're sort of in that mode of you created a job for yourself and you're paying yourself a salary, but you could also just go to work yeah, right. somewhere else and have a job and get paid the same amount of money with none of all this risk that, that's you, right. that you carry over here. And that's something that I think, to your point, that we as owners can tend to lie to ourselves because... I don't like that because I have this bias that says, but I want to run my own company. I want to have my own thing. I want to be in, determine my own destiny, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We kind of fall into that. Well, like, well, if I'm running my own company, sure, I may not be making any more money than if I had a job, but that's okay because I enjoy what I do and, you know, I'm making a living. But then, of course, where it can come back to bite people is when something goes wrong and you're left holding the bag. And that's just one example. So that is the risk. And if all your company is making you is your paycheck, then your company is a liability. Because you're not you didn't gain anything more for holding that position, that stock, that share. You didn't gain anything more from it than a paycheck you would earn without holding the share off of somebody else's dollar. So there's no additional gain there. But why is it a liability? Because I think I think because you can get owners <laughs> say, wait a minute, no, I own a company. That's valuable. Okay. But I can you see... You want to know the most can, basic term? Yeah, <laughs> The sure. most basic reason it's a liability? Because something goes wrong, the IRS goes after you and not somebody else. I mean, it's it's just that simple. Sure. If, you're, well, if they right. could take your house for a problem that you had with your business... Guess what? There, and that's not a risk-reward nature because what you're saying is there's no reward. It's only risk. That's a liability, not an asset. Hmm. An asset is something that gives you reward because and, and an yeah. asset also, not only and an investment, an asset, not only gives you the reward, it gives you a reward that you can influence because I have this object, but when I add Tim to that object, it's worth a lot more money. Then, then it's a. Then I have an asset in myself or in my company. Well, I guess I'm also thinking of the reality that, in that scenario, where I say, "Well, but my company is valuable," the truth is, if I don't get the next project, or the new client, all of those things like rent and the internet bill and the salaries and the, you know, all those obligations yeah. are still due. Yeah, like, I keep paying, and I keep paying, and I keep paying. So, yeah, that doesn't sound like an asset. That does sound like a liability. So, so think, of, think of like buying a music royalty. And you pay ten grand for that music royalty. Now, you, that royalty means you get paid every time it's played on Spotify or Netflix or whatever. Right. If that, if that royalty that you've bought gives you $1,000 a year, it's a 
bad investment, but at least you're getting a return on the $10,000 you spent. The original royalty didn't lose value necessarily because it is paying you out, right? Mm-hmm. There's, it's not dependent on any other, any other system to keep it going um, in order to own the royalty. You just own the royalty and it pays you over time. If that royalty pays you $20,000 a year, that's an amazing investment. So both of those investments, because the object you bought a royalty doesn't have a liability attached to it. You don't have to keep on paying. If you borrowed money to, to buy the royalty, it's one thing. But if you paid cash for it, and again, I'd say, Joel, if you had 10 grand left over and you can buy a, buy a royalty of a song that would pay you at least $1,000 a year or to buy something else for a reel, how long would that last? One season, yeah. two projects? And you don't even know if there's a return on that. This royalty has it. So it's the thought of, if you have 10 grand extra, give it to me. I'm going to go you know, make a sock company. And if you go, Tim, that doesn't sound like a very good investment for that $10,000. I'm like, well, why would you do that for yourself? Like, there's n- that ability to know and trust the conversion of that to something that pays out over time yeah. without risk or without liability. So I think the, if I was going to offer a moral of the story, it's that creatives when they become owners of firms, tend to give it all away. To give it all away. Because they're so passionate about producing their best work and their creative expression and so forth, and that gets them into trouble. Yeah, so I'm going to say there's two reasons why they do it. The first one is is they're a creative person, and that's what they love to do. So what we like to do is sit down with our clients and acknowledge and recognize that that's true, and that's what they do for a living, and we don't ever want to take that away. So none of this conversation is to say that anyone's doing the wrong thing with their life. Right. We're just looking for opportunity in the decisions they make every day and make sure that they're making the decisions that they want to make. Right, that are consistent with their values and their goals. And Right. Yeah. So 90%, let's just use these numbers again, but 90% should go to the project, 10% is left over, and should be in Joel's pocket, right? Well, to be clear, 90% includes... Fifty uh, percent tax by the company. Yeah, fifty percent overhead, forty percent yeah. cost of goods sold. Yeah, and then ten percent that should be in Joel's pocket as profit. If I gave that to you and you chose to buy sports cars with it, we'd call it a hobby. Or if you chose to ski with it, we'd call that a hobby. And if you choose to put that back into artwork that you're making, we'd call that a hobby. So I'm like, I'm okay if you want to take that ten percent and do this thing that you love to do, which is art or design or make videos on the side or whatever. But, you, but the other part of that is, I would ask you first, but is that the priority of life decisions you should be doing at $10,000? Before you spend it on skiing or a sports car, you or your wife might recognize, oh, I probably should pay for my kid's college. Yeah, and you know me well, because I will spend a lot of money on skiing. But <laughs> yes. yeah, but I, I know the, the distinction that you made over and over again, and I'm just going to reiterate it for our listeners is to not call it an investment. Don't call it Just an call it spending. You know, like call it what it is because language is important. Yeah, because, and this is the second, the second thing that um, the designer... So one is to recognize it's an expense and therefore my question would be are you prioritizing that expense correctly on the other things you want to do in life? 
Because you'll wake up one day and wonder where all your money went. Yeah. So one, that's the first thing you want to do. And the second thing is you should understand what an investment is. Because I'd also think that people th- call this an investment because they actually don't know what an investment is. Right. So the, the misnomer of calling this an investment is the lack of opportunity to find real investment. Mm-hmm. So if you really want to invest that $10,000, you should recognize what you're not investing in in other areas. I'm not buying music royalty. I'm not buying into this housing complex. I'm not... Um, loaning it out at yeah. 20% invest right. in interest. Saving up to buy a building or I'm not maybe putting my team on a special project that's going to create a licensable Right, I'm not developing content. an app. I'm not right. writing a book. These things that have good built-in royalties, mm-hmm. good uh, set returns, I'm not going to do those. Instead, I'm going to choose this not good return, not possibility, and really, you don't know the outcome and and effect. So I would go on to say, you couldn't go into a venture capitalist room and say, hey, I have a really good investment for you. Give me $10,000 extra so I can use this camera instead of this camera for somebody else's return. Because by the way, a client gave you $100,000 because they're making $2 million off of your $100,000. Yeah. That's the, that's the investment that they've made. And, and you're thinking, so I'm going to give $10,000 more so they can make, they're still only going to make $2 million off of it, and you don't even know if you're going to make another dollar off of it. Yeah, and that's a sobering shift, right, when you start to realize, wait a minute, people are making a really amazing return off of my effort. When's it my turn? That's right. When do I get to be that guy? And I think our proposition is to say, well, it could be today. Let's just decide. Let's make it a priority. Let's make it a value and start making that intentional. That's exactly right. So I have some friends that are investors, and one of them lays asphalt. That's what he does for his day job. Um, And in the night job, he and his buddy that have different careers buy buildings. And one thing that he realized was, if I buy a building that has bad asphalt, I can buy it at a really low cost. And because I lay asphalt, I can put new asphalt in that building and resell it at a huge ROI. Because what his effect is, he puts black stuff over the other black stuff to make it look prettier. If you make white picket fences, you should buy houses without white picket fences, and you should put white picket fences in and get an ROI for the skill that you have. That's how you apply the thing that you do towards something else that you can affect and get a return and cash out. Those are good investments. That's such a great example. Just a simple, funny little picture of one. leverage. That's it. Like, he's leveraging. I do asphalt. I'm going to buy a build. I mean, that's such a great little It's easy, right? Scenario. So oh, yeah. if, if to some degree, we have every business is an asphalt-laying business. He's a service business, paved for use, buys mm-hmm. us, and it's no different right. than what our guys do. So that's work for hire? It's work for hire, <laughs> totally. And it's no his day job. in asphalt. There's nothing wrong with work for hire. He owns the business. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of parallel. Sure. But he recognized that he can, as a byproduct, he can add value to property why not add value to his property instead of everyone else's property if he has $10,000 extra dollars? That's so cool. So you ha- we have to ask ourselves the question in this industry, where is that $10,000 of my thing 
that when I apply my skill to it, it becomes worth more. Yeah. And in motion design, we obviously add value to other people's products. What's the product we're doing? That's the, uh, that's the constant challenge that business owners should be thinking about. They should find their own. If it's paper flowers that your wife makes, if it's even just um, footage of mountains that you have to collect on the side and then push off to stock footage yep. for you know, five and a half times your, your expense, like, that's a good expense, yeah. I think. Yeah. All right, so I think we've... We've covered it. We covered we've, this. We, we, we've, we've learned that we're not going to spend our profit on making a project better and call it an investment. We're just going to call it, we spent the money. It's an expense. It's just, an expense. Just stop calling it an investment. Um, don't say, and there's, yeah, don't, I'm not investing in this. Don't say I'm investing it back in the project. Don't say I'm investing it back in my business. Right. And you can. But let's make sure you've invested in other areas first, in your kids' future, in your own future, and other possible things to get better return than that project, and then realize what the decision you're making. And if you're married, you should have to sit down with your wife and say, honey, I'm going to spend $10,000 of our money on this. Is that okay? And if you don't want to have that conversation with your wife, you shouldn't convince yourself during the daytime that it's quote-unquote Part of work. So, yeah, that conversation is like a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, we should do that. <laughs> Stop here, All right, so we'll get back to LA. Thanks for listening and thanks, Tim. Yeah, of course. Thanks for listening to Rev Thinking. For more insights on running your creative studio or to ask us a question, visit RevThink.com. We'd love to hear from you. I want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about. It's our online community called Rev Community. It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends, and it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today at revthink.com slash community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at revthink.com slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.